Well, one four two. Um, apparently, I was excited at every goal, including goals. Apparently, um, <laughs> that they took a wooden bench with with were that slipped over the wall that went round the the the, the Sydney track for me to sit on. And I think that uh, my two uncles had set the lads either side of it. If he falls off, you know, I'll knock you, you know. Um, <laughs> um, and it was just great. You know, that was the start of it. And from then on, every, every whenever the chance came, the, these two uncles used to take us to the match. And of course, when my dad came up on the raft and my grandfather went, we had a great, a great family time. It was, it was fantastic. But, uh, but that's how it started. It was uh, my two uncles who, uh, who were a pair of madcaps, really lovely guys. Twins they were. Well, Tom was the thinker, the, 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 but John was the, uh, he, he's the dream of all the schemes. You know, if they were going to get in trouble, yeah. it was John's idea, but Tom Tom got the blame because he was the one that usually did it, you know. Um, but it, it, it part of the uh, growing up with a family that was not, Here's the ad, and that's why I love, love what you do. It wasn't just Newcastle daft; it was football daft, and that's what I think I, I like about what you lads do. Because when when you watch, yes, we expect to see a lot about Newcastle, but we also hear a lot of good sense about football, and and I think that's something that Newcastle fans are in danger of losing. See, I've always uh, thought Newcastle fans appreciated football as much as they, they did their team. Uh, example, um, oh, well, Neil's first match when Ian Rush, uh, this 19-year-old kid, tore apart in the FA Cup. And lots of grounds, yes, in mm. lots of grounds, he would, he would have got booed off the pitch. Well, he didn't. He, he got a, Neil, remember, he got applauded off the pitch. Yeah, you know, applauded off the pitch. Absolutely. People appreciated what he did. And then uh, a couple of years ago, if you remember, Vardy came to St. James's with a record of having scored in 11 consecutive um, premiership games. And if he scored against us, that was 12, and he would take the record. Well, what was important to us as Newcastle fans was, it was Shearer that held the record. So he was going to take one of Shearer's records. Now, he did it, but still the fans applauded what he did. And when he came off, he got a stand innovation. And I think... There's not many grounds where that would happen these days. So, I, I, no. as I say, I, I love the fact that people get coming. Yes, they're going to get a lot of Newcastle United, and why not? Uh, but they're also going to get, get a lot of information about football as well. So, oh, great stuff. I've got to ask you about the FA Cup years. I mean, George, you're, you're old enough to remember them. Um, we're, we're old enough to remember cup final defeats. I know you can remember a few of them as well. But 52, uh, 51, 52, 55. There's the rattle my father took to the two finals. Wow. The Arsenal final and the Blackpool final. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, it uh, made in the shipyard in Swan Hunter's joiner shop at lunchtime. They had a production line and uh, a couple of the managers were Magpie supporters and they just turned a blind eye while the lads were making all these things. Uh, my father got tickets for those two finals of his manager in Wall's End Flipway. And the tickets obviously were gold dust. Nobody could get a ticket. But my father's manager was a, a, a bloke called Jack Wright. And his son was an ex-guardsman. And he was um, 
working in Buckingham Palace as a, as a bodyguard. And yet he could get a ticket just like that. And he gave them to his father. And his father passed them on to my dad. So my dad took a day off on the Friday, which normally would have got you the sack. But because it was his manager, he got away with it. Um, and off he went hitchhiking to Wembley to go to these finals. And he went to both. And uh, just fantastic, you know. So he, that's the sort of... Um, uh, background, you know, the, the sort of keenness and energy there was in the family about about football and about Newcastle United. So, um, and then there was the the '55 one, the, the Manchester City one as well, which which of course I remember too. Uh, but none of us went for that one. But uh, but it was Milburn, Milburn got the record there, uh, which which only got beaten in recent years for the the quickest goal in the FA Cup final that year. Absolutely right. Yes, absolutely right. And uh, um, I mean, obviously, another part of me, my background is this, as a as a thirteen year old, I uh, started to go up to St James's Park on schoolboy forms and started to train, and uh, with the prospect that, uh, of signing on. And I was yeah. there for, for nearly six years. Um, but it, you know, it was it was just part of life, and and. Uh, um, when the idea that I might actually sign for Newcastle came around, I mean, the family were just elated, you know, just absolutely um, uh, on top of the world. You know, they couldn't have been better. There were other clubs around, and maybe I'll talk about one of those later, Burnley. Um, but, but it was always going to be Newcastle. It was, it was, there was never any doubt about that. Plus, what added to it was the school I went to, my PE teacher was a, a young lad called Alec Tate, who had just yeah. he was just been centre forward in the first team, and that uh, the year uh, um, 56-57, he scored a hat trick against the Mackhams in the derby match. Um, yeah, and he was a super super lad, super fella, great teacher, but a lovely man as well. And I had the uh, um, opportunities occasionally would play a school match on a Saturday morning and he'd be there with us. And I'd hop into his little sports car with him and we'd both go up to St James's Park to find out which team we're playing in on the Saturday afternoon. And on a couple of occasions, we both ended up playing in the A team or the B team. Um, so it was, it was fantastic. It was, it was uh, a great time. But, this, you know, there was never any doubt about uh, my involvement in Newcastle United and continuing onwards afterwards. afterwards so, George, I think we could do an entire show on you. Uh, it's <laughs> it's, it's yeah. always great to hear. Always great to hear the memories. Um, but we, we might come back to you a little bit more on that later. Yeah. Let's start yeah. talking about Steve Bruce, Steve Hasty, and uh, he gave his press conference today prior to this weekend's game against Burnley in the Premier League and. Uh, Wow, uh, certainly uh, let some steam off today, did Steve Bruce. Uh, um, just reading through Craig Hope's article in the Daily Mail, he says that uh, Steve Bruce has rejected criticism of his tactics at Newcastle United and asked those who question him, what do you not understand? Supporters and observers, of course, have raised concerns over the lack of identity about Bruce's side 14 months on from him taking charge. Bruce hit back, launching an irritated and passionate defence of his approach during a heated exchange with reporters on Friday. And this is what he had to say. I find it disappointing and deeply frustrating, this thing about a lack of direction and tactics. What do you not understand, he began. Since I've walked through the door, I've said we'll try to change. 
I've, it's been levelled at me. There's no direction. But I've played the same formation in five of the last six games. We're trying to change a team that sit deep in back five to a forward-thinking back four with two up top and a bit of pace in wide areas. How long will it take? I'm not too sure. I didn't think we were ready for it last year, but I can't understand what the raging debate is. Let's not dissect it the way we are. I find it baffling. I really do. Look, we haven't played well enough. I'll grant you that. We haven't played with enough intensity and we've given the ball away cheaply. But if you've watched us, what do you not understand in what we're trying to do? All of a sudden now, it's a raging debate. What's the debate? There it is. That's what we're trying to achieve. It was then pointed out to him that supporters can't, can see the formation, but the criticism is aimed more at the style. So Bruce then says, the style's a concern. So all of a sudden, we'll have to think we're Liverpool, do we? The style is we're going from a back five to a back four with one off the front. We were stylish against Morecambe and West Ham. We had 27 attempts against Newport. Uh, that's what we're trying to achieve. I think that would be pretty obvious if you were balanced about it. All this stuff about tactics and no direction, I just don't feel that it's balanced all right. Wow. Dear me, oh, Steve, where do we start with, with, with this? I mean, if there's anything that you do when, when the fans are starting to turn on you, and believe you me, the fans are really starting to turn on Bruce at this moment in time, um, you don't react like that, do you? You certainly don't. I'm, I'm just sitting here gobsmacked listening to that because obviously I read it and, and you tend to proof, you tend to like sort of speed read things, you know, sometimes when you just spot them on Twitter. But just sitting there absorbing somebody else reading it out to you like that and taking it all in and you just, I just gobsmacked, absolutely gobsmacked. I take it that when he signed for, for Newcastle, Ashley handed him like a, a, a DVD and it turned out to be Football Manager 2005. <laughs> and not football manager 2020 because quite frankly that's what it appears to be like he's he's he's, he's singing from some sort of like rehearsed sheet that he's probably pulled out of his pocket that he's had at every club since he started whenever he suddenly hit a bad patch and i think we could we could rip him apart if we wanted to on and many number of things and i'm sure mitch will be dead happy to but five wins since Christmas, for goodness sake, you know, in the Premier League. A run that is absolutely shocking. Performances that are absolute dire. And you just, you just sit there thinking, what am I watching? Because he's watching a totally different game. I know that football managers tend to have rose-coloured specs or they tend to look at a game in a slightly different way. But dear me, he's looking at it from a completely different angle to every Newcastle fan that I'm aware of. You know, if Twitter and Facebook and all the other mediums are anything to go by, the WhatsApp messages that I get from pals who, are, who I'm not attending the match with at the moment uh, are sitting in the pub with, but are still connected on, on WhatsApp and we're still talking football because we love it. We're still talking Newcastle United because we love it. And what all to a man absolutely bereft at what we're watching. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I had to mute you there, George. I heard uh, the chase music coming on. We'll get done for copyright. Oh, so, uh, sorry, I'm not sorry. I'm not sure I've heard that. I, I, I'm sure I heard the chase anyway. It might have been something different. But anyway. No, um, you're right. You're right. 
No worries, mate. You've got it. You, you've, hit, you've hit the button. What did you make about Steve Bruce today, then, with regards to his statement? I mean, he's he's obviously, you know, he's obviously unhappy at the criticism being levelled at him. But what did you make of what I've just read out there? Well, I have a thing about Steve Bruce and, and his uh, press stuff anyway. Um, it, it surprises me that an organisation like Newcastle with sort of money involved, that they don't give the guy some media training because clearly he's had none. Because for me, every time he opens his mouth, he puts his foot in it. He'll say yep. something positive and then he'll say something totally that wipes it away. Uh, like the other week when he was talking about, well, we're going we're gonna to win this because we're, we're the Brighton game. We're going to win it because we want, uh, everybody's down with the COVID and we're going to boost the whole area by doing something well. Um, and uh, he goes on to say things like, and that's what we're about and, that, and we're doing it all for you. Well, what did he do for us? We, we, we just had an absolute disaster. And worse than that, my abide, one of my abiding memories of the Brighton game wasn't the fact that we got slaughtered. was the fact that when I, San Maxim got injured, I could hear the coach, I don't know if anybody else did, shouting from the touchline, run it off, run it off. Well, that's the sort of training that went out when I played 60 years ago, not, not now. You know, and, and that, that that's, that's the kind of thing that worries me. In fact, he's, uh, Neil and Steve will know that my, my view of his training methods are um, that he's, uh, you know, antiquated, is to put it mildly. Um, and so today, it was no surprise for me. Um, once, he's, once he's in a corner, he's got to find somebody to blame. And the only people he can blame is the supporters for not liking what he's doing. And that's exactly what he's saying today. You know, all right, so you don't like uh, what I'm doing. Well, what am I going to do differently, etc.? You solve the problem, not him solve the problem. And I, I've, I've just found that for a professional is very, very poor. It, some simple media training, surely, um, would line him up to do, do the things, say the things he wants to say without putting his foot in it. And uh, it's it, it just uh, sad to hear somebody... Um, going in that way but but the lads are right uh, we can see what we see and what we see is the evidence of the worst british manager in the premier league's history got the worst percentage win rate etc etc et you can go through the stats there isn't one in his favor and uh, to start coming back and saying well uh, i'm not too worried because you don't like it etc et it's just naive it's naive and we'll make them get it worse and you're right, Steve, as well. When you watch social media at the minute, even some of the gainsayers, some of the people who are, who are rooting for him, um, have gone very quiet now because they're getting battered by people who are now got brave enough to fight back. You know, there was one or two on Facebook, for example, who, who if you if you even tried to criticise Bruce, would give you hell. You know, they would they would call you all the names under the sun. Well, they're not doing it now because they're getting they're getting that themselves now because uh, pe people are realising that it's uh, he's a busted flush. He's had it, you know. And as I say, Graham the fans, it, it's uh, there's only one route to that, and that is going to get worse. I mean, I see there's even a petition going around on Facebook at the moment uh, to get him to get him out. Well, you know, uh, you can't sink much lower than that. It's and it's very sad. You know, I'm a Newcastle fan, and I would love to see. Um, we do well with a Geordie manager, but it isn't going to be this Geordie manager, I'm afraid.
No, I, I mean, I've got to be perfectly honest. I, I wouldn't sign the petition. Uh, you know, it's not going to help. I don't no, think. I mean, no. I understand. I understand people's frustrations. I do think some yeah. of these people do it just just to get themselves in their in the headlines. Mitch, um, you know, Bruce Bruce clearly not happy. We're clearly not happy. The big question is: Is Mike Ashley happy? That's a very good question. And somebody said to me through the week. Um, when Mike Ashley starts turning up the games on a regular basis, something's going to happen. We've got to look at the situation we've got. He needs to be sure that his 300 million investment is protected. Because, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, the, the, the Bellanova group have reappeared magically. Um, and and they're, they're still not offering what was on the table from the, the bid that is still on the table from PCPPIF. Um, and he's not going to get that if we get relegated. He's not going to get that if things go south. Um, so why is Ashley there on a regular basis? It's not just as simple as the ground being empty. Because he can. Um, I think he's keeping one eye on his investment. Um, and then... The next level for me is, is, is somebody's just rightly said in the comment on the screen. Once the manager starts having to go at the fans, things are going south. And that's, it's not a good look. It's Should really not right, a good then. look. So, you know, um, the, this whole situation, um, I'm quite sure Ashley's keeping one very close eye on it because. He's got this ongoing court case. He's got an ongoing bid that he wants to. He has accepted. He wants it to go through. And he's got his money to protect. Um, and, and I think Steve Bruce, if, if he's not mindful of that, then he bloody well should be. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's, it, it, it's a really difficult situation because, you know, I'll stand by the comments I've made previously about in the cup, for example. You can only be two put in front of you and you go on to the next round and when they, when they write the name on a cup, they don't say, ah, but they nearly got knocked out in the fourth round. That doesn't happen, and that's quite true. But equally, as a fan base, you can't pull the wool over our eyes. We know what we are seeing. We're seeing a team that's had three shots on target in three Premier League games, and one of them was a penalty in the last minute. You know, you can't dress that up as something amazing or brilliant. You can't dress that up as tactical genius. Um, we know when we're seeing players isolated. Um, we know when we're seeing players played out of positions. We know when we see players that aren't happy. And then we've had uh, Shelby's comments this week as well about Rafa and lumping the ball forward. That was that was ridiculous, <laughs> given the fact that we spent seventy minutes lumping the ball forward. Yeah, that was all we were doing, um, and and just because you managed out of the, this is the frustrating thing with that man. We know he can score goals like that without thinking about it, but how do you motivate him to do it every week? Because frankly, he's standing there like Mister Hollywood in a game against the League Two team who just looked hungrier, better organised, who wanted it more than us, who embarrassed her really. Mm -hmm. And yet somehow we've got the 
close to the kindest draw in the competition in the next round, and on we go. And and that's great. Um, but as a fan base, we still know what we're watching. And yeah. they don't. Do not discredit us with the ability to understand what we are watching. Because you're on dangerous ground, you're on thin ice doing that. And he's just walked into the middle of it. It's like when my mates, when I used to live in Casalisa's Halls, when my mates used to walk across Casalisa's Pond in the winter, and, and, and now we're walking across the ice, and you're waiting for somebody to go through it. That's what Steve Bruce is doing right now. <laughs> yeah. Good question from Kieran Mann. Uh, we'll, we'll stick with this one. Uh, can we scratch our heads for a minute to think of one player who's improved under Steve Bruce? Because I can't think of one. Steve? Any player that you can think of, I can think of plenty that have got worse. Um, only because he's had a bit of a run compared to last season would probably be Carl Darlow. Mm-hmm. Bingo. Probably, probably on the back. Bingo. Of, sorry? Bingo, Bingo you're spot on, Steve. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that, that's on the back of the fact that he, he, he played against Tottenham and put a performance in that reminded me very much of the Tim Cool one, where it was Tim Cruel against Tottenham a couple of seasons ago. Well, more than a couple now. And it, it on on Sunday it was it was Carl Darlow against Tottenham for most of the game and he was keeping the keeping were in. If Darlow hadn't had such a good game, that, that penalty incident wouldn't have mattered one iota. Not one iota. So probably yeah. because he's had a room as of a few games at the start of the season, that's the only player I can think. But San Maxim's not a better player now than he was when he first arrived. Joe, Lin- and Joe Linton, certainly not. Although people would say that, he's, again, last couple of games, he seems to have improved. But when you're improving from such a low base, quite frankly, you know, anything is going to be an improvement. Um, is Almiron looking a better player than when he signed under Rafa? Certainly not. Um is Andy Carroll looking a better player now that he's been given a second year? Absolutely not. Andy Carroll on Sunday made a cart horse look good. He he was so far out of touch with the game. It was unbelievable. And if we're, if we're relying on someone who may, merely can throw elbows and win headers, 35, 40, 45 yards away from goal and not in the penalty area, then fair enough. But that's it's not going to get anywhere, you know. So, no, Steve, that's probably the only player. And I don't think Hayden's a better player either. But somebody put up Hayden. No, he's not a better player than he was. Um, he's probably just having, maybe he's do a little bit more uh, on the odd occasion. But he, he's not, there's no like, you know, a great big fanfare over Hayden that he's some sort of superstar. No, definitely not, you know. Now, George, is there anybody who's improved as far as you're concerned? I'm seeing Manquillo's uh, name up a couple of times. I think yeah, Manquillo was half decent under Rafa, um, but to be fair, I can't think of one player that's improved. Well, uh, I'd have to go along with Steve and say not just Darlow, but all the goalkeepers. All the goalkeepers. I mean, if you think think of the talent we've got in goalkeepers at the moment, Dubravka, uh, Darlow, Woodman at Swansea, um, Gillespie now, even though he, he made a rick on the other night, he's, he's still a good goalkeeper. And I gather we've got another one in the in the youth team who's who's going to start pressing them. Now, that's that's Simon Smith, isn't it? That's that's nobody else. That's the goalkeeping coach. It's, it's down to do with Steve Bruce. 
but it may also be to do with the fact that they're having to work a bloody hard because they've got no defence. You know, we're, we're getting we're getting pummeled game after game after game. Uh, so these lads have got to be on their toes, otherwise we wouldn't be in. I mean, let, let's face it, I, I desperately was desperate not to see us get relegated last season. But if it hadn't been for Dravavka, we would have done, in my, in my opinion. I mean, he, he, time and again, he was the difference between us scraping a draw or, or scraping a lucky win than getting a hiding. And Darlow on Sunday was just... Uh, we, we should have been five now down at half-time, if, if we're honest. Um, so, in terms of players that have improved, no, I can think of a few that have gone backwards, though. Um, Stan Maxim, for me... First couple of games look like a world beater. He's not a world beater now. And as I just said to you, when you were talking about uh, Bruce, um, that clip from Brighton where I could hear somebody saying, when he hurt his ankle, I could hear somebody saying, run it off, run it off. And the only way that kid could get treatment was to sit on his backside on the turf. Well, players aren't going to improve with things like that happening. It's, it's a mess, complete mess. Um, there's a quick, there's a question there for you, George, on the screen. Is Bruce, in your opinion, the worst boss we've had in your time as a Newcastle fan? Worst. Been a few. There's been a few bad been, like been some real, real stumers. Yeah, I mean, I can remember the Gordon Lee years and uh, um, Richard. Say Charlie Mitten. Say Charlie Mitten. <laughs> well, that's that's being very personal because. Charlie Mitten <laughs> got rid of me, and you know well, that. that's just because my granddad threatened to knock him out as well. But that's another matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Charlie. Well, the thing we're talking about Bruce making uh, speeches and uh, to the press and all the rest of it. That used to be what Charlie Mitten used to do. And he every opportunity he got to address people, he was up on his hind legs. In this afternoon, well, I was playing in a, in a, a United eleven against. Uh, well, I think it was a team from Preston or somewhere like that. And after the match, at it, Nuns it, Moor, Hunter's Moor, he got up on the on the uh, veranda at, at the dressing room and started to tell the world his philosophy on football. And then he started to address the younger players like me and the team and saying, now, if you lads want to get in my team, you'll, you'll make yourselves famous. You get your names on the front of the paper, even if it's the news of the world. You know, fancy saying things like that to young, to young people. Well, what I didn't know was that when it went quiet, my father went round the back and asked if he could speak to Mr Mitten. And when Mitten came out, he told Mitten, he said, if he gets his name on the front of the news of the world, I'll come up to St James's Park and I'll kick your ass all the way down to the central station. And I don't think that did, I don't think that did my career much good. <laughs> but, it, but, he, but he meant it. Uh, but it's it's about this address of the media that, that you know there's some that can do it and do it well. Um, there's others that should just keep their mouth shut. And as I say, Bruce, every time he opens his mouth, he puts his foot in it for me. And uh, no, I I think probably the Gordon Lee years were, were were close to being as as bad as they are now. And and with the fans being in real uproar, um, that's that that's about as close as I can get. I think. Okay, uh, over to you, Mitch. Players that have improved under Steve Bruce, are there any? The, the one that immediately sprung to my mind was the one that Steve mentioned, was Darlow. But that might just be because he's had opportunities. Yeah. I genuinely can't think of anybody else. And I'm and I'm talking about some of the youngsters here as well. The ones we've all seen either brought in the team or want to be brought in the team, Sean Longstaff. 
it's not that long ago, you know, was Man U talking about 30 million for Sean Longstaff? Would we get that for him now? Sure. Um, Matty Longstaff, we've had this this um, contract dispute, which later, you know, which you say a new contract, and I think Bruce is trying to dress it up like he's trying to soothe the way and get it all sorted, but is that really the case? I'm not convinced. I'm certainly not convinced talking to his uncle. Um, mm-hmm. who still hasn't told us anything of substance, but he's told us lots of nothing as well, which which <laughs> speaks volumes too, you know. Um, still comes back to that original comment, don't believe everything that you read. And yeah. so, you know, it, I can't, I genuinely can't think of somebody who's got better, you know, even Lascelles. I see people criticising Lascelles, which I understand, because he doesn't look the same player at times. Yeah. But he's still a captain. He's still still a leader. He should be. Um, but is there a message being lost somewhere along the line? I don't know. But you know, you, you, you can count you can't you can count on the fingers of one hand the ones have improved. I think you need all your fingers and your toes to see the ones that have gone backwards. And and that's again not a good sign. And, and it, it comes back to have a go at the fans, have a go with our fan base. Steve will tell you, when we were, we were doing this stuff to build the trust up, we've got a real proper depth of understanding and a level of intelligence in our fan base. Yes, it may be daft at times and it may be stupid at times, it may be crazy at times and it may be lovable in all sorts of times, but it's also intelligent. It's football intelligent. Our fan yep. base is football intelligence, and we know what we're watching on that pitch. And yep. and, and that doesn't lie, and that's what it comes back to. And yeah, Darlow, but that might just be because he's played a few more games. Okay, Steve, let's go on to the uh, the cup game. Um, it was a hard watch. It's got to be said. Um, yeah, no. so, I'm going to sit on the fence and say Newport. Look, I know. I, uh, you know, they've, they've become cup specialists, and they've not they've knocked a few teams out. Um, Newcastle went down there, you know, according to Steve Bruce, with with it with tactics. They fell behind to an early goal, uh, struggled to get back into it. Looked, you know, looked looked poor across across the pitch. Um, it comes to something when Joe Linton really stands out as your best outfield player. Darlow, you know, again, outstanding. Uh, Gillespie, sorry, outstanding. Keeping keeping Newcastle in it. Then, obviously, apart from dropping the clanger, but you you look at that game and you think Newcastle, you know, it was a potential banana skin. They got through it. Um, they're into the next round. They're playing Brentford in the in the quarterfinals. <laughs> should we be happy about that? You know, should we should we are we being too critical? Or you know, should we not be happy that we've progressed to the quarterfinals of the cup? What you know? Are we being too critical? I suppose is the question I'm asking, Steve. No, no, no. We're not. Certainly not. I mean, yes, we're in the we're in the in the in the quarterfinal of the cup. We're all absolutely delighted to be in the quarterfinal of a of a cup. Um, I think my first thought was, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in that round? Who we're going to get? You know. But looking at that game, I mean, we we started off so slow, so lethargic. We started off defending again on my, on my 18-yard box. And he's, he's, he's saying he wants a more dynamic, he wants a more quicker team. Well, you don't get it from defending. 
and everybody getting behind the ball and then just standing. You've got to attack the ball. You've, I, I don't see central defenders when the ball's coming. I don't see them charging in for a header. I see them standing off, waiting for the ball. I see fullbacks standing, waiting for it, not, not going into challenge. You, you look back on that game that we had, if you remember, against Leicester, where there was that eight, nine, ten, twelve tackles that were put in, full blood and blunder tackling. We're not seeing anything. We're seeing players standing off going, I'm not interested in this. It was announced after the game that apparently they all ended up having to have a cold shower. Tell you what, I looked at it, I thought, when I heard that, I thought some of them needed to get in a cold shower before the game to wake themselves up, quite frankly, because it wasn't until the last 10 minutes that we actually started to move the ball around, which was probably because Newport County had ran out of steam by then. You know, mentally, they were shot because they'd been hanging on to a went to a 1-0 and they weren't getting past the goalkeeper with any, anything. They'd had that early goal. But you, you just look at the performances right across the pit. We're not, we're not determined enough. We're not, we're not getting our foot into the challenges in the right places. We're not hitting teams in the right way. We're not playing with the passion that you would expect from a Premier League team, from players that, that would be wanting to prove themselves. We can use the excuse that there's no crowd, but we were told only a couple of weeks ago by Bruce that he thought some of these players were benefiting from not having a crowd in front of them and, and the pressure that that was bearing on them. And now we're seeing completely the opposite because there's, there's players there that are just they're just cruising, absolutely cruising. Um, I mentioned Andy Carroll there before. The challenges, he's, 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 he's picking up the ball in the... In the on the halfway line and he's laying the ball off and we get a lovely run from Murphy um, or a lovely run from Richie, somebody like that. And then the cross comes over and you're expecting Andy Carroll to be on the end of it. And Andy Carroll's barely crossing the midfield area. Is, he, is, is, is his fitness that bad that, that once he lays the ball off, he, he can only stand or he can only walk the next sort of 20, 25 yards? He's not busting the gut. And when you do see him trying to bust the gut... It's like it's. I mean, no disrespect, but it's like it's like watching an old man trying to run for a book. You know, never ever going to catch it because you know he's not even going to get to the point where the doors are going to get shut in his face. The bus is away and it's past the lights and probably at the next stop by the time he catches it. You know, it's just it's just embarrassing. I, I just can't understand when Bruce comes out with the statements that he did come out, and then. You watch his performances, none of it knits together. None of none of what he says is actually what I'm saying. And you know, Newport give us a game, no question that they give us a game. And did they deserve to win? Probably on performance on 70 minutes, yes. And um, when it comes to the penalties, you know, they got they got done. Um, and that that's football, and we'll move on and we're into the next round. And we've got a we've got a tough tie against a very, very good Brentford team. Um, who who put out Premiership team on uh, on Thursday night? You know, so it's uh, it's not it's it's not a, an easy route into the semi final, and and everybody's sitting there praying that we're going to get Stoke. You know, quite the opposite. You know, we're, we're sitting there thinking, what are we going to be? What sort of performance are we going to be able to put in? Because I'm not seeing anything that fills us with the with the excitement or with, with anything other than trepidation. Quite frankly. George, it probably helps us, doesn't it, that this game isn't going to be played now until December. So a lot can change in football between now and December. It would be nice if a lot did change, Steve. You're absolutely right. Um, but the other night was just desperate to watch. I mean, you've been talking about Shelby and what he'd had to say today. 
until just before he scored the goal, I was sitting here thinking, why is he taking Shelby off? He just drifted around the place. Sometimes he was further back than the centre-backs were. And then the next thing, he was on the halfway line, but not doing anything really dangerous until he scored the goal, which is which was great, I admit. Uh, but it was it was so turgid. It wasn't really nice to watch. Um, and so, um, yes, I, I, it would be nice to think things would change, but I'm not sure what will uh, in the time that we've got between now and, and, and December, because... Uh, um it would for me it would take a whole change in personnel uh, on the field and off the field to, to make any real difference at all because while people are saying well Brentford are going to be up to the next in a championship challenge well the way we are going we might be up to our next in a relegation battle by Christmas you know and I, I hope not because I'm a Jody I'm a Newcastle fan but I'm afraid the way we're, we're going at the moment and the and the comments that the managers make about the the coach, um, it, it, it doesn't, it's not very positive for me. The draw is excellent. I mean, that's another thing about Bruce. Uh, I think I commented on, on Twitter the other night. If you look at his record, the one positive thing about his record, he's had years of good luck in cups. And he's got good cup runs with some very modest teams and poor teams. The downside to that is, is a couple of them got relegated the same time as they won the cup. All of them did. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, well, that's the kind of thing. So, that, but he just have on, that quote on screen now. All yeah. being relegated. Yeah, he 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 does he does have that look in the cup, and you can say, in terms of the draw, we got lucky. It had to be Brentford or Stoke. We didn't want any of the others, did we? Um, nobody would be clapping their hands if we got any of the others. But Stoke or Brentford was was a good draw, and, and that's what we've got. So, but I'd like to think things would change, but I, I'm. I'm doubtful if we can, Steve, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Quarter final again, um, Mitch. I mean, people forget Rafa got us to this stage uh, himself, of course. Um, I think it was Hull we, we ended up getting drawn against and we went out rather comprehensively down at Hull. Um, but yeah. do, you think, do you think this time scale between uh, now and the quarter final does us a favour? Because, you know, it is exciting yes. to be in the quarter final, despite the fact we can't actually go and see it at the minute makes a massive difference because you don't know where they're going to be by that time. You've got to remember the championship is a, because we've been there, it's a horrible division where the games come thick and fast, where you pick up injuries left, right and centre. You, you rely on your squad um, and again, by nature, championship squads tend not to be as deep. Um, the, 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that as well, Dad. Um, <laughs> um, we'll come back, George. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Um, you know, it, 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 the, company, the games come thick and fast. You can pick up injuries. We could be playing a, like a team with three or four different players in the starting lineup come the middle of December. Um, and equally, we could be. We could be decimated with all sorts of injuries because we know what our injury record's like. You know, it's, so it, it, it could be a blessing, it could be a curse. Um, personally, I would rather it was in the next couple of weeks, but it isn't. That's the way they've done it. Um, so, yeah, it could help with a lot. Um, yep. But, you know, go, going back to Bruce with this whole record in the cup, and the, 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 I know um, I had a lad today, funny enough, 
Um, one of the lads who gets out with was a lad called Rob, who's a Chelsea fan. Who Stu was who was on the show last night knows very well. Uh, and and Rob was trying to tell us tonight that uh, Bruce is a great manager because he's he's promoted so many clubs from the championship. And I'm like, yeah, because he's relegated them all there first. <laughs> you know, it's 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 it, 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 it's a double-edged sword, <laughs> and, and and that's the problem. Um, it it it's really. I, I love the fact we're in the quarter of final, quarter final of the cup because it's something we've not even thought about for ages. And I tweeted this probably, well, when the the two draws were made for the two rounds, you know, a blink and we're in the quarter finals. And we are. And yeah, it hasn't been a blink. Um, and, and, and in fact, the game against Newport was far from a blink. Um, but we are, and we're there. And, and I stand by, again, I stand by what I said, because I've got to. Nobody rates on the cup, nearly got knocked out, knocked out in penalties in the fourth round, because nobody will ever talk about that. If we happen to do the ridiculous and win it, that's never going to be talked about again. They'll be talking about as the first domestic trophy since 1955. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, quite rightly so. But um, this, this is the problem. This is the... the, 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 the the absolute ridiculous situation that we're in. Because again, we know what we see with our eyes. We know what we're seeing on the pitch, in the Premier League and in the Cups. Um, we should have watched that game when we came up against a team that was organised and fit and hungry and keen and just for about 75 minutes blew us out of the water. And that's a League 2 team. And that's horrible. Yeah, it is. Raimondo, uh, good to have you on, mate. He uh, says the uh, retro show last night was tremendous. Thanks, mate. Yeah, we've got a picture sent in by uh, yeah. a good a good friend of the show as well, uh, Steve Wilkinson. Um, he's part, he oh. was for, for years involved with uh, Newcastle United's uh, disability section of supporters. And um, that's 1998, Wembley Way, uh, with Sir John Hall. And uh, he says when he was speaking to him before the photograph was taken... He said, "This is what I was promising, um, you know, being in the top, being in the top six, and being in the top ten in Europe." And uh, Steve says, "Where's it all gone wrong?" But uh, yeah, no. great memories, great memories from that time, Steve. Thanks for sharing that photograph yeah. there. Much appreciated, mate. And I uh, hope you're doing well under these testing times. Steve Hasty, um, a lot of talk on the chat, as I'm sure you've seen the comments that I'm putting up there um, about Shelby. I'm going to come to them in a second. I'm going to give the sponsors a shout out first. Big shout out to Darren Baldwin Funerals. Thanks for, for sponsoring this month. And a big shout out to qtechshop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Wall's End, in the tune. And Darren Baldwin as well. Anybody wants to contact him, hopefully, um, you know, you won't have to contact him <laughs> over the next week, over the next weekend or so. But that's his number, 01914782730. Oh, Darren, thank you very much for sponsoring us. And uh, don't forget, guys, if you're out and about and you missed the YouTube show, get yourself onto iTunes or Spotify and search NUFC Matters. But, yeah, Steve, a lot of people talking about um, Shelby on the chat. What's your, what's your view on, on Shelby? Because, you know, he's come out this week. Neil's already mentioned it. He's come out this week and actually, you know, you know, from, well, from, from his point of view, defended Steve Bruce and had a pop at Rafa. Um, no surprise there. Rafa dropped him. Didn't want him anywhere near the first team squad. Steve Bruce has brought him back in. 
at, at, on occasions has made him captain of the team and more or less given him free reign to do sweet FA in the middle. Yeah, because of the style of football that Bruce wants to play, where he has a, a flat back four who are defending so deep to allow Shelby to play even deeper at, at times. I mean, it, it, he's saying our flat back four, he's, he's virtually part of the five at times. He's, he's, he's there in the, right in front, within five yards of the, of the back four, picking the ball up. And pinging these passes, he's not running with a ball. He's not creating anything. He's not, he's not playing nice little one twos, and he's not setting up play. And he's he's not distributing it in the, in the manner that you would expect a, a, a top centre or central midfield player to do. Um, he's not doing it 20, 25, 30, 35 yards further forward, where we're going to actually create something from those one twos or from those slide rule passes that he's got in his locker. Instead, what we're doing is we're hitting ridiculous long balls into corners and sometimes not even into corners, just into the into the goalkeeper's hands as we saw at Newport. So Galvin needs to question himself on his performances. You know, it shouldn't be us that's questioning Shelby's performances. It should be Shelby himself who's looking at his performances and thinking, you know, for 70 grand a week, that's not good enough. And and if Shelby d- does get dropped, he's only got himself to blame, quite frankly. Now, would I play him? Um what what system am I going to play without him? I'm go, am I am I am I then going to have Hayden playing in exactly the same role, deep alongside uh, a Hendrick? Is that all? I, that's because that's basically the only option I've got. Because I don't think playing Sean Longstaff there is going to be, make us any more dynamic. Sean Longstaff is he's playing at the top of the midfield diamond behind the front two. Maybe might get to maybe the Sean can play those slight passes if want to look for them, but. The whole setup is just slow and lethargic. Almiron doesn't run down the line anymore. Almiron's invented this way of playing football sideways, running sideways. David Batty used to get slagged off for passing the ball sideways. Almiron runs sideways with the ball now. Um, that's that's something that he didn't have in his locker when he was playing for Rafa um, in, in that half season. Because when he came into the squad, he looked as though he was going to bring something exciting and special. Um, so I just it's a conundrum what do I do what do, do I, who do I bring in in his place what sort of style am I going to be playing to be able to bring someone in to, to perform better um, I'm not getting the, the, the million and a half two million pound a year to, to pick Steve Bruce's team or to provide him with the tactics so I tell you what there's there's enough people out there that could do it for, for like you know a couple of quid, quid a year <laughs> Be perfectly honest, because we 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 see what's going on. It's it's a, it's not a Shelby problem. It's it's a it's a it's a nine ten player on the pitch problem that we have fitting them into a style of football that he has still hasn't hasn't developed, and he's going to use that excuse of Rafa and. In the defensive formation of a five-man, I didn't think Rafa at times played. I think we played that Man City game where we, where we sat back and you know we had twenty-one percent of the possession um, and and stole a result. But apart from that, I, we watched it. I was sitting next to George. We watched that game and we were fascinated by that. You know that it was a duel not between the two teams, but it was a duel between Guardiola and Rafa. And Rafa had set his team up to say to Guardiola, right, you show me how you can break us down. You show me how you can beat me. This this became a Real Madrid-Barcelona sort of affair where Rafa set his stall out and said, right, let's see how good you are at being able to break a team down. Um, 
But when we did do things like that, when Rafa did put it, I never ever saw his five as a defensive five. I saw a defensive three with two wing backs that moved forward, that attacked. Yedlin was was outstanding during the Rafa time, where he was bombing up and down that that right wing. You know, um, Paul Dummett when he was part of a three or when he was part of a five and he was playing out wide as a left as a left fullback um, or a left wing back, probably better suited as a left fullback than a wing back. By the way. But he had the strength and, and ability and the, and the speed to be able to get back into position um, and pass a ball as well. Now, you're not getting that. And this is this is the problem. He, he, I don't think Bruce has got it in his locker to even decide what the formation is with this particular squad, to be perfectly honest. And and just pointing the finger at Shelby and saying, would you drop him or would you not? There's, there's, there's probably... It, it, it needs a complete and utter sort of, you know, surgery on how they're actually going to perform, not just who's going to do the performance, but getting them to play faster, getting them to move, getting the transition correct, getting it happening in the right places on the pitch, um, and and pushing Shelby 25, 30 yards forward and not having them pick up the ball to give Fernandez an easy game or give themselves an easy game because that's all they have to do. You know, they're not even winning the ball sometimes. They just when the ball comes to them, they just have to play it off to him because that's the probably the only outlet ball that's available because he's there taking the ball off them. Yeah, I've got to be honest, the penalty situation at uh, Newport midweek uh, told me a lot. When the, the camera zoomed to Steve Bruce, he was standing on the sidelines twiddling his thumbs while Steve Agnew was on the pitch um, trying to cajole the players and get them together to see who wanted to take a penalty. Newport were all in a huddle, everyone together, the manager yeah, with the team, yeah, and yeah, basically yeah. saying, this is who's taking it, who wants one, this, 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 this. Steve Bruce was standing on the sidelines. He left it to Steve Agnew. That tells you all you need to know. Before we come to you, before we come to you, George, um, a lot of people asking about the T-shirts. Thank you to QTech uh, who sent the T-shirts out. I think they've sent one to Mitch as well. I think they're sending one to Steve. They're doing T-shirts for, for people involved in the show, which is nice. But I think they're, they're going to knock some up to sell. So we should have news on that next week. Somebody also asking if the Christmas do is going ahead. Is the tickets left? Yes, we are doing a Christmas do in aid of the food bank. Friday the 4th of December, all being well with COVID, of course. Tyneside Irish Centre. Lee Clark will be doing a Q&A with myself. There'll be a raffle, there'll be an auction, there'll be a lot of the guys there from the show. Steve Hastie will be there. Liam Kennedy's coming along from the Shields Gazette. A few of the lads, a few of the lasses will be coming along. Uh, it'll be a great night. It's 12 quid a ticket. You can get them from www.newcastlelegends.com. A lot of people asking as well about Alanson Maximum. We're led to believe he could be fit and make a return tomorrow. Um, so, fingers crossed for that. So, yeah, George Shelby, he's a bit of an enigma. Um, I've got to be honest, not my favourite player whatsoever. Um I, I didn't, you know, I didn't rate him when he came to the club. Um, he's, he's, he's been okay in fits and starts. He can pull off a bit of magic like he did the other night. But he's not, you know, for me, you know, what we what we should have been aspiring to under Rafa, he didn't fit the bill. Now we're under Steve Bruce. He's probably perfect for Steve Bruce. He's a player's player and all of this. Like, you know, he probably goes down the pub and has a pint with Brucey. But he's, he's you know, he's, he's part of the problem, I think, for me, George. Well, well, he is. I mean, uh, as I just said to you before, just before he, he scored that goal, I was sitting here thinking, get off, you know, get, take him off, for goodness sake. He, he's a luxury we can't afford. Because there were times he was deeper than the centre-backs uh, in that match. And, and you wonder, well, 
what's he doing back there? How, how is he going to affect the game from that sort of uh, depth? That he, and he wasn't affecting the game. And then he came up with this superb goal. You can't take that away from him. But even then, um, over the 90 minutes, if you look at it uh, uh, dispassionately, um, he didn't contribute another jot to the game, really. Um, not in the way you'd ask somebody with his experience uh, to do. I suppose I'm slightly biased because on two occasions, one of them thanks to you and, and one of them thanks to Steve Hasty, I was able to hear Rafa talking about the, the, the guy. And yeah. uh, uh, he, well, the Brighton game when Chris Hutton in the, in the championship when Chris Hutton came, and Chris Hutton was saying to Rafa, "Well, uh, what's John Joe doing?" And uh, and Rafa's response was, uh, "And Steve, correct us if I'm wrong. Well, it's up to him. Uh, at the end of the day, he just won't do what he's told." And that yeah, was that's right. And, that was the short answer. I thought, well, that, that's you know hitting it between the eyes. There's no no two ways about that. And then there was the, the training situation. Um, the, the lads are training and, and all the rest of it. And Rafa's saying, well, I'll get 20 or 30 20 meter runs out of him. I'll I'll get 10 uh, 40 meter runs out of him. Um, I'll be lucky if I get two out of Shelby. Yeah. And, that, right. and that's always been he's, that's always been the situation. Um, the first season he was here, he was important because he, he did something different for the team uh, when he came. Uh, but since then, he's he's just gone backwards for me. Um, you know, it, at one stage, had he had he played to his potential, I think Rafa would have got him back in the England squad, but he didn't. And, and that that was that's that you know that was that was the end of that as far as I was concerned. So he contributed very little for me. Um, uh, you know, yes, he got a fantastic goal, but uh, um, I just feel he's uh, uh, past his sell-by date in many ways. To be perfectly honest. No, I agree, and I think um, you know teams like Liverpool don't get rid of good players, and uh, no, Liverpool no. Liverpool showed him the door. Swansea showed him the door. Newcastle, as always, lapping up. Um, substandard players who, you know, essentially will, you know, that'll do for us kind of thing. And we've been doing it for years. We've, we've done it for years, unfortunately. That's yeah. just our, that's our look. Mitch, Shelby, tell us a little bit about your feelings on, on John Joe. I get frustrated at the moment hearing people use the word quarterback about him. Because you're talking about a quarterback role that even in American football is outdated. You're talking about a quarterback who's John Elway. You're talking about a quarterback who is... Uh, Joe Namath. You're not talking about a quarterback who is uh, Patrick Mahomes. You're not talking about a quarterback who is um, uh, Lamar uh, uh, or Jackson. Deshaun Watson, sorry. You're not talking about these new quarterbacks because that game's moved on. And you know what? So is ours. Yeah. And everybody's worked out what a quarterback does. And that's why these new breed in American football, these new breed of mobile aggressive um, quarterbacks who've got everything. They're almost additional running backs who can pass the ball. They do everything. They run, they block, they do trick plays, and they can still put a 30, 40, 50-yard bomb into a, into a wide receiver on his, on his numbers and get a, get a touchdown. They've had to evolve because people have worked out. You can't have a quarterback who stands in the pocket and just passes, passes, passes. You look in the NFL at the moment, the, 
teams who play with a quarterback in the top like that now are getting obliterated. You need a you need a quarterback that does something different. Same in football, same in our game. The quarterback role has been worked out. It's been totally sussed and you can't play it anymore. Why? Because people know how they work, how to play them, how to pressure them, how to get them out of possession, how to make them pick the... Yeah, I'll leave Russell Wilson at Watson out of it because I'm a Mahomes guy all the way. Um, you know, they, 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 they know how it works, so it's easy to defend against, or it's easier to defend against. And, and I think Newport showed that. They knew what, for 70 minutes, they, they had that under control. They knew what it was going to do. They knew what was going to happen. They knew where the balls were going. And he, and he had to set up the plate to work that out. Yeah. Not rocket, not rocket science. Not rocket science. Good organisation, good, good fitness, good intensity. At the end of the day, they ran out of steam. And that's simply because they're a League 2 team. Yeah, if that was a Premier League team, they'd have seen that game out quite easily. So, so the role that Shelby wants to play, Mister Hollywood, doesn't exist anymore. It can't, and he has to show that he can adapt and evolve. And I'm convinced he can. Yeah, you're right, mate. You're right. Well, Shelby's an enigma. It's always going to create a debate. A lot of people talking about that. Uh, last uh, hour of the show to go, so still plenty to talk about. Anything you want to suggest, uh, please do it in the comments below. Subscribe to the channel as well if you're a first-time viewer. I know we always get first-timers on each night. A lot of people saying some very nice things about us, which is great. But if you subscribe to the channel, it's free. Please also hit the thumb. Uh, if you like the video, it does help us with the algorithms and gets us a little bit more uh, publicity. Both of those things are free. If you're feeling generous and want to chip in a little donation, click the join button and you can donate a little bit to the cause because obviously we all give up our time for free. Uh, Steve, uh, we were talking a little bit about this off air. Um, Dan Barlazer, gone. Uh, not on loan, as we all expected, but gone permanently. And Martin Nesbitt, who does the uh, the worldwide show and will be on uh, will be on our live match coverage for Burnley tomorrow, has um, basically said that he's really upset about that. He, he didn't want to see him go. We're letting young local talent go. What, what what's your take on Barley's ever going to Rotherham? Uh, all the talk at the start of the season was he was going to be part of the squad. He was going to be there. He was there about. You know, um, they were having a really good look at him. This is this was sort of somebody that was probably seen as as the cover for for Matty in a way. Whether or not Matty staying has has meant that Balassa has decided to leave because he felt as though he was going to be behind uh, Matty in the in the squad. Um, I'm not too sure, but you know, all the conversation uh, in the press right the way through the the what. Well, very, very short and close season. And then the, the start of the run-up of the season was that the lad was in with a chance of, of getting a squad uh, number and being part of the 25. Um, then all of a sudden, like you say, 250,000. I know that clubs are struggling. I know that there's a, allegedly a 50% sell-on clause that's been put in. But even then, um, we were so desperate for £250,000. That, that we've let him go, you know, um, somebody that they obviously rated very, very highly. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated that, again, 
um, we're letting young talent slip away. It makes you wonder what we bother having an academy for, to be quite honest, um, because there's so, so few players that make the grade. Um, you you remember the time when Keegan got rid of the reserve team? Um, and I think it, he did it in in very much of a, a bit of a spat because they couldn't they couldn't play the reserve games at St James's Park anymore, and he wanted to have the the reserve team having the experience and being used to the to the ground and used to the pitch and and the the, the whole ambiance and situation, so that when they did if they got called in. They would they would feel as though they were you know they'd, they'd already experienced that and they knew what was going on and they knew that they knew the dimensions and all that. But really, I mean, I think I think the problem you've got is the the youth team football is hasn't started yet, the academy football hasn't started yet, and it doesn't look like there's going to be reserve team games either. And Mebby's ball after and his agent have just said, you know what, you're not going to you're not going to be kicking a ball. You're just going to be turning up for training. Um, and that's about it. And you're not going to get a run out, and you're going to get felt on your backside if you do manage to get into the into the first team squad. And maybe Bruce has told him that as well. And maybe that's maybe that shaped his his decision to to go because you know somebody somewhere has told him that he's not wanted. Otherwise, he would have probably stayed. You know, uh, a young lad, unless he's so desperate for first team football and the opportunity. And hey, good luck to the lad. He might shine. Um, rather, I mean, he's he's going to be playing in the championship, and he might he might he might be absolutely perfectly suited for that, and he might turn into a really good player, and we might we might see uh, performances from him, and he moves on to a bigger club um, in the in the intervening years, and the club gets something back. But I just think it's I think it's a backward step when you've got someone who's been at the club since what nine year old. All the way through the all the way through the uh, academy age groups, um, you know, then gets a contract and it, like it's almost like cricket, isn't it? You get a central contract, you're part of the squad, you're part of the youth setup, you work your way through, um, and then they just they just they basically just hit a brick wall. They just don't get the options, they don't get the opportunity, um, and and then they move on. And like I say, it's not like you've got an academy that is. Generating players that you're going to be selling, like Chelsea, for example, selling for you know 15, 20, 30, 40 million quid. You know, these are players that were selling for 250,000. That, that, that in itself, you know, says so much about the academy setup that we have. Yeah, of course it does. George, disappointing, isn't it, when you see a youngster go? It's not the first one to leave these oh. shores, and uh, sometimes it does come back to bite you back on the backside, like Alan Shearer did. Well, I, I suspect this one might as well, because what I seen of uh, Balazer at uh, Barnsley last year, he looked he looked good. I was now I was pleased he was coming back, and I thought, well, he he might have a real chance. And to be frank, what I seen of him in the preseason, the odd games he got, he looked to me as equally as good as the Longstaffs uh, on those games. And to let him go for a quarter of a million pound, as Steve says, um, I would I would really that desperate. I would really need a quarter of a million that that bad. Um, plus, somebody has, has already been said from nine year old to, to where he is now has been been uh, bread and butter for the club. To let them go in that way, what does that say to the other ones? Some of the other ones that's been around. Um, what does it say to the young ones that are watching this happen? Saying, "Well, do I really want to go to Newcastle? Why don't I go somewhere else?" Is it? There's a couple of uh, academies down the road that might suit us better than 
than this one because uh, uh, it sends a message and the message to uh, uh, young players is uh, why go there. I mean, it could be that young players will go to the academy that the uh, um, Williamson and Richie and uh, uh, them are running with the Newcastle Benfield because uh, it, it's getting a hell of a reputation in Wolves End for what they're doing with the kids there to, to provide a, an avenue in, into the game. But it, it's 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 not a good message when you, you've got somebody that's been there that long and uh, they go for, for a quarter of a million. It was virtually a song as far as I'm concerned and a bit disappointing because I did I did like the kid where I saw them, but because we didn't see much of him at the at the high level at the at, at the Premiership level, and and you won't see much. They've had two or three games. I mean, Longstaff took a while to to, to get in, uh, and the more games he got, the better he looked. Um, his injury uh, is what set him back, in my view. Um, but Barley's has never even had that opportunity, and I think that's quite sad, really. Yeah, disappointing, isn't it, Mitch, to, to see a young a young lad leave? Um, you know, I, I, I've got to be honest, I thought he would have made made the grade at Newcastle, but clearly hasn't had the opportunities. And maybe, as some people are suggesting, maybe he just doesn't fancy playing for Steve Bruce. Maybe he doesn't. Or maybe, like you said, maybe his, his agent said, look, guaranteed first team uh, play in the championship, and on you go. Um it's really frustrating. I mean, I, I'll, I'll give you like the personal opinion on the, the whole academy setup and how it works. And my dad will back us up on this one. Our Joss, um, when when we lived in Morpeth, played for Morpeth, and that effectively was in a league that fed into the Newcastle Academy. And then before we came out here, um, we moved out, out to the Drum Dales and uh, just started playing for Anfield Plain. And that fed into Sunderland's academy. And, and just started playing games that were effectively effectively academy qualifiers to go into Sunderland's academy. And I have to say, hand on heart, if he'd gone into either of the two academies, I know where I would rather he'd have gone. It wouldn't have been Newcastle. Yeah. Yeah, and it was... I say that. I say that through gritted teeth and yeah. with a broken heart. But... That setup was far better, far more professional, had an eye on the youngsters, knew what all the youngsters were doing, knew what all the youngsters could become, had an eye on that talent. Before they'd even had an assessment game, before they'd done a trial game, they knew who they were talking to. Good God, one of the coaches knew who I was. <laughs> you know, ridiculous. Um, oh, you're the lad that's up the trust, don't you? I'm like, add on. You know, um, and, and I don't remember the bloke in my life. Yeah, yeah. And and they, and they had that whole structure set up to go to develop and nurture and and take a player and take them on. Whereas our academy just seemed haphazard. They turn up when they liked it, uh, at, at the games that that Josh was playing for more with it in various parts of the northeast, um, often up by the race course and what have you. Um, and there'd be whispers and corners and what have you, but you know, it, it, it just wasn't right. You know, seeing a comment on the screen again about Sorensen, somebody who came in with, with amazing uh reports and reviews, um, has probably has a stronger Geordie accent than all of us put together. Um, and and and, and 
what's happened? He's, he's dwindled at Carlisle. He's now off to, I think, second division Dutch teams, where hopefully he's going to develop and grow. But we just don't seem able to develop players. You know, we've got, we've got an academy that produces players, but then they get to a point and they just level off and they disappear. And, yeah. and that's really sad. That's really sad. And it's frustrating as well. And it'll be frustrating for the for the players. It'll be, be frustrating for the families of the players. Can I tell you how frustrating it was for me to sit and talk with one of the coaches at Anfield playing about Joss and saying, look, he's got a chance to go into Sunderland's academy. And how how far does that stick in my throat? You know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I can understand and that. And, and I've heard that and, story and his, many times. And his, and his, for that matter, turning up with bloody training at Sunderland's, Sunderland's training grounds, wearing a Newcastle shirt and Newcastle socks and shin pads, doing everything you could to wear black and white and just pay people off. Um, you know, but frustrating as anything. Yep, we've got to talk um, next about the uh, takeover. We haven't had a takeover uh, chat for a while, lads, but uh, it's back on the agenda. And uh, we've got to talk about it. We'll be doing the fans a disservice if we didn't speak yeah, we'll uh, about it. And um, Steve Bellagraph Nova, back in the headlines, back talking about uh, taking over Newcastle United. What was your What was your view on that today? <laughs> It's no news day, isn't it? <laughs> Absolute snow news day. I mean, there's been nothing happening, has there? So we've ended up with with another ridiculous story coming out. Um, it's actually the same old story, isn't it? Only now we've got we've got alleged quotes from from the woman, from the the the, uh, the, the young girl who's supposed to run part of the organisation. I know she got into a she got into a deep and meaningful spat with whoever was asking her the questions. Um, regarding how big the company was, and you know, I mean, it's only a fortnight ago we're here, and they were being investigated by the Singapore Stock Exchange, and now all of a sudden she's mouthing off, and she's using it as as a vehicle to try and explain herself out of it um, by saying they're still interested in Newcastle, um, and the, 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 some of the allegations that were made against them was that they don't have 28,000 people working for them as they stated they did because they're such a massive multinational company and she said well we're actually an internet company but so in theory or in practice all the people who all the companies that we're linked to and um, all those people work for us and stuff like that and you're just you're just laughing your head out you're just thinking how are you man you know give your head a shake give your head a shake you know, we're not going to fall on it <laughs> But I just, you just, it's it's yet another, it's yet another story. Um, it's the same regurgitated stuff. I'm, I'm even seeing some journalists backtracking on, on you know what they've said in the past about them, and uh, one or two who have, you know, fallen in line and, and see it for what it is. Um, one or two are now, are now saying, oh, now that they've spoken and we haven't heard from from elsewhere, maybe there is something in it. Um, somebody asked me on Twitter. Um, earlier, um, and I, I, I think it was a private message, and I just said, "Look, you know, it, is it a coincidence that you know these these stories come out? Um, why do they come out? 
you know, it's it's no longer self-publicity, is it? It's no longer trying to promote your own company. They're trying to dig themselves out of somewhere as far as I can see. (laughs) That's a good one. Maybe that's true. Maybe, you know... We haven't seen a photograph with her with with Obama yet. Well, we have with Obama. We haven't seen her with uh, with with Trump yet. Maybe he's uh, maybe he's said that because he's got COVID. I don't know. Maybe she's going to pull one out of her hat and show us a photograph of him. And maybe they'll use that as the excuse for not for the deal not carrying on. God knows what. <laughs> but Steve, you know what? This takeover will happen when it when when everything's sorted. Um, there's obviously things. I'm, you know, we're hoping that there's things still going on behind the scenes. Um, everything's very, very quiet um, in, in, from the, the the PIF PCP um, angle. Um, we've got the court case at the end of October that that involves FIFA. We will never ever really hang on that decision, but that's just another notch, if you like, um, that goes that, that that shows that there is corruption all over the sport and all over football. Um, and it doesn't shine the the BN Sports guitar angle in a very good light, but they've never been in a very good light anyway. Yeah, but James is, James is asking how how can a couple of corrupt employees of the Premier League stop a takeover? We don't know. Obviously, well, you know, that's, that's your words, James, not ours. But obviously, from our perspective, you know, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. There's a lot of there's a lot of things which don't make sense. And this is the this is the whole point, James, of taking legal action. Um, the legal action will mean that everything, and I mean everything that has been um, discussed gone backwards and forwards and emails, everything, will all come out in the wash. And that is what I suppose PIF are banking on, essentially that eventually there will be there will be their day in court when all of this has to come out. And the, the Premier League won't want the dirty uh, dirty laundry washed in public. And that's that's right, isn't it, Steve? Absolutely. And, and you look at I mean, there was a story in the, pre- in the press earlier in the week when we were talking about the finances. Of the Premier League and about the, the you know the the uh, the COVID world that we're in and how how all the all the clubs in the lower leagues are struggling and it, all of a sudden there was a story that said that that uh, the EFL were talking to Saudi officials and people from Saudi about putting investment in and I, I thought you know what we're going to see that and then we're going to see something from Richard Keyes and we're going to see something from BN Sports and we're going to start to have comments from them again because. Um, that's something that they don't want. You know, they don't want those types of stories coming out. Still keeping the link, still the mention of Saudi, because as far as they're concerned, they want the whole thing to be dead and not talked about it anymore. Um, and if they if they get the slightest sniff or you know the slightest bit of wind that that there's something going on that that there's the possibility of a Saudi involvement in the Premier League, which could go against them in some way, shape or form in the future, they'll do everything in their power to change the story, change the change the dimension and take the subject matter into a different tack and make it about themselves and make the make the Newcastle fans the story because of the angst that we've now got potentially another buyer. I mean it'll be next week it'll be Morris is still involved, or he still wants to, um, or there'll be, you know, the Peter Kenyans they, that'll that'll suddenly pop into the into the into the frame again. It's bound to, and that's the nature of the way that the the media and certain people in media are playing Newcastle fans constantly on this, Steve. 
Yeah, George, it's uh, something we haven't spoken to you about yet. Um, the takeover. What's been your your views on you know the uh, the constant on-off rumors, stories, outbursts, um, tantrums, whatever you want to call it, over the last six seven months? It's been frustrating, hasn't it, during lockdown to have this played out in public? I've helped with two of the things that you lads have organised over the over the last few years. Um, the Canadian one, the the, the Matthew Southern one, with uh, J. Robson French. I mean, he, they wanted to meet everybody, so I was able to facilitate the meeting. The Lord Lieutenant, the Vice Chancellor of the University, they were actually going to come back and meet the Chancellor of the University. Um, uh, if they got the chance, but they never got that far because it, it died the death once they'd met Ashley and, and things at Gated with Gated Council just went pear shaped. Um, so it has, in that sense, it has been very, very frustrating. Um, some of the interesting things for me is, is that uh, having spent uh, 15 years um, working in Whitehall in various positions, uh, voluntary positions as chairman of Central Probation Council, that sort of thing, and meeting some of these lawyers that I now see their names flashing across the screen as being involved in these sort of things. Um, for example, people were saying, those lawyers have took this down off, off their Facebook page. Does that mean they're not interested? Well, it means quite the opposite because they're very competitive and they do want other people thinking that's all the bloody work they've got. You know, <laughs> they're after all sorts of work, but that doesn't mean that they're not interested in Newcastle United. For me, it means it means uh, quite the opposite, um, but extremely frustrating. And, and uh, the length of time is indefensible. The one thing I hope would happen, and I'm sorry Ian's not here tonight, I was hoping that uh, somebody would get... Uh, Masters and the Premier League back into um, the Parliament before a, 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 a select committee. Because if a select committee takes control of things, they can actually con take control of your business if they want to. And it would have been nice if somebody said, well, how do you do that? Why do you do that? Well, we think you should do something different. And it might have been very embarrassing to hear some of the answers. Or worse, no answers at all. Just no comment, because I think that's what might have happened. Um, so, yes, it's it, it been terribly frustrating. The other side of it is, is this this new group, not new group. Um, when they came on the scene, because I saw there was a link to Singapore, um, I got very excited because for the past 50 years, I've spent 50 years working uh, as a consultant with uh, Singaporean government with the universities, with, with the major shipbuilders out there and the major offshore yards. And I know there's, there's a very warm feel for Newcastle United in Singapore. I mean, I, I went to, a, um, uh, last time I was out there, I went to a, um, a dinner that was put on for the people from the university uh, by the alumni out in Singapore. And it was being held by a guy who had um, a dental and medical degree from Newcastle. And do you know what they call his clinic? The Newcastle no. Clinic. <laughs> <laughs> and and his, his logo on top of his note, headed note paper was a cold image of the Tyne Bridge. You know, how, you know, you couldn't get much more close than that. And everywhere you went, I mean, I can remember walking through through one of the shipyards, the, the Kettle shipyard, and people were sticking their heads out of uh, holes in the side of ships and, and offshore rigs and saying, 
how's how's this done? What's the team doing? Why are the team doing this? They, you know, talking professionally was nearly impossible because they just wanted to talk about Newcastle United. So obviously, when I saw this, these were from Singapore. I thought, well, wow, that would be wonderful if the re if it was genuine. But then I watched what they were saying. Now, in all the negotiations I've had, whether it be government, university, ship shipyards, or, or universities, um, the one thing they never did was talk about the deal that was over. They never yeah. said, we're doing this, we're going to do that, we're not going to do this. No. They talked about it, this is what we've done, this is what we're going to do. Never talked about it in between while the negotiations were going on. I mean, people in this part of the world probably don't realise, we qualify, Newcastle University, we qualify more naval architects and marine engineers in Singapore now than we do at Newcastle because we run we run our courses out there. And why do we run our courses out there? They had a president, a former prime minister called Lee Kuang Wu, who was a very hard man, and he wanted his uh, naval architects and marine engineers to have what he called the Newcastle experience. So while other universities were trying to sell him a fan franchise, he came to us and said, I want you to do this for us, for, for, for our young people, and want you to come to Singapore and do it for her. So we hired people, we trained them at Newcastle, and then they went out to Singapore to teach our courses. And with the online stuff and all the rest of it, they take the same exams, they take everything else, the same coursework, um, and that's the kind of feel. And that was Lee Kuang Wu saying, I want our students to have the Newcastle experience. And just across the causeway from Singapore to Malaysia, there's now New Med. There's a 400-place medical school being built. And the entrance to it, you know the big King's Gate up from the Haymarket when you look at our university? There's the huge uh, King Edward's Gate. Well, in it, the New Med in Malaysia, first thing that hits you, you're driving through the... the dense jungle on these brand new roads you turn a corner and there's king's gate in front of you they built a, re built a replica of the gate uh, out yeah. there in malaysia um and, and what I'm, all i'm trying to say is the feeling out there is so warm towards this part of the world uh, and it, it, it's existed a long time people also forget that um they've got some of the most modern and productive shipyards and, and offshore yards in the world well those were started off by uh, people from Swan Hunters going out and showing them how to do it after the war. And it was Lee Kuang Wu who said, I want, I want you know, Newcastle experience in that as well. And throughout there's been that warm, warm feeling. He used to select the people, some of the students that came to us in, in my department when I was selector in naval architecture. And sometimes we'd get people turn up that weren't the people we expected. And it's yeah. well, that can't happen because it's got to be who we've selected. And uh, Lee Kuang Wu would come on the phone. Oh, Mr. Mitchell, you've got to take them. And I'd say, well, I don't have to do anything. Oh, well, I'll speak to the vice chancellor. I say, well, no, as admissions tutor, not even the vice chancellor can make me take anybody that I don't want to take. But then he would say something like, oh, how are the lads? They want the Newcastle experience and all that sort of thing, and try and, and, and try and, and butter me up. And he used to win. He used to win. I used to, of course, I wouldn't send kids back to Singapore. I'd find a place for them. But there's that sort of warmth 
towards the place and, and to Newcastle United. So when I saw these people coming, I thought, this could be good, this could be great, this, 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 would, this could be just what we need. But then I saw what they were doing, shouting their mouths off and all the rest of it. That's, yeah. not, how do, that's not how they do business in Singapore. They, sure. they don't talk about it until the deal's done, until, until the deed's done. In fact, we'd signed agreements with them to run the courses in naval architecture, the first ones that were, that were run. And not even the vice chancellor of the university knew about it till we came home and told them. Yeah, they, 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 they didn't want it public. So when I saw these people, what they were saying, I thought, nah, this, this is a con. This is, this, is, this is just nonsense. It isn't. But it's sad because, as I say, that's a part of the world where there's a really warm feeling for Newcastle, the region, and, uh, and Newcastle United. Yeah. So sad, sad, sad from my point of view. Neil, it's uh, you know it. It just looks like a bit of a publicity stunt on behalf of the BBC, doesn't it? Let's just wind the Newcastle fans up again. You know, remind them there's a takeover still in the offing, and I, you know, I, I didn't buy much into that the day. To be perfectly honest, I, I don't even think it's that. I think the, the, the only only people this is still serving is is Bellanova Group. Yeah, it, it, it's the only people that this is still serving. You know, the, the, actually, little side. Side note, to back up something your dad was saying about the warmth for Newcastle across this region and how the university, for example, affects how people feel. Um, yes. A few, yes. Years ago, yes. a few years ago, we moved out of Dubai um, and as a family, we went to a place called Umal Queen, which is about 40 minutes north of Dubai. And I'm poking around the courtyard there at the marina and, and the lad comes out and we're talking and he, he, he Got me name. Do you know George Mitchell by any chance? <laughs> Classic. Christ, you know. And, and, and this is like the story of my life. You know, you'd be in the middle of Mojave Desert and somebody goes, did you know George Mitchell? What? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's that's why when I, I've done stuff out here with people and got involved with people who have connections to the region, um, they've got this warmth, got this this desire to see the region do well, not just the football club, the region, because they've been there, they've experienced it, they've got the passion, they've got the heart, they've got the feel for that club city community thing that we bang on about. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and and what my dad says is right. You know, it, it, like somebody from Singapore should have passion for the region because we've got so many connections. Connections that people don't understand. You know, we've got family connections in that region now. You know, yeah. my dad's cousin yeah. has a has a has an engineering company just across the, the causeway from Singapore. Yeah. Um and, and okay, the lad's the lad's an Aberdeen fan, but he's he's, he's Aberdeen first, Newcastle second. Yeah. Because you know, my dad's uncle was Newcastle first and Aberdeen second. And you know, and and so, um, and so many people in in the whole sort of Asia, Pan Asia, really have this connection, and, and you want to see it, and that's why, you know, to, to see somebody from Singapore interested was quite exciting. And now yeah. I see this, and it's just like a, it's a regurgitation of the stuff that seems to that trying to garner more credibility on the back of the fact that you've decimated from the stuff they did the first time round. They've been totally exposed 
you know, all these Photoshop pictures and everything else that was going on. And with due respect to Michael Chopper, I'm quite sure he was quite keen to get any deal done, but I'm sure he had self-interest in mind in that as well. Because yeah. that's obviously what a lot of these things come down to. Yeah. Um, and super frustrate, you know. Um, but I, I just don't see it. I don't see anybody, anybody who, um, who gives them any degree of credibility anymore. And, and that's the bottom line. They're trying to just cover their own asses. Yeah. They're in trouble. They're getting criticism from left, right and centre, even in Singapore. So, you know. It's, in, it's interesting what you say there, Mitch, as well, because, you know, if my memory serves me right, I mean, um, Steve, you, know, you, 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 were, you, were, you were part of the, of the reason why Amanda came out on, in 2017 with that Liverpool game and, and, you know, from what I can gather from talking to you, that they, they, they had it, they, they, she knew about the club, she knew about Newcastle United, she knew about the city, she's, she only lived 100 miles away in, in North Yorkshire. Um, and you brought up there, um, but when she came, she got she got the bug. She got yeah. she got, she 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 yeah. she bought into what what she, what you had told her and what other people had told her and what you know probably our parents had had told her our friends had told her about Newcastle United, and she witnessed it firsthand. But it was also new to her husband who probably had never been to Newcastle before or had never tasted the experience of St James's Park on a match day, and. He got it as well, and you know whether he was a Chelsea fan or an Arsenal fan or you know uh, some you know PSG whoever it happened to be, I don't know. Um, but he obviously got it, and what they've then done for the last two years is that they've they've had that bug and they were bitten by it, and they were so keen to to from what they saw to be able to take the club forward and to be able to buy the football club. And to go out and actually sell the club to partners of the mm-hmm. size of PIF and to bring those people on board and to, and to get them to buy into their dream. Because that was, that was obviously her dream and, and her husband's dream, her dad. And, and she talked to the Rubens and they saw it because they had a connection with the Northeast as well. Um, but to actually go out and to convince uh, the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia that this was the place to be, was was huge, absolutely massive, and that that exactly as Neil's saying about about Singapore and George is saying about Singapore and about buying into it and the connection. Those people had the connection and they've sold that connection. They had sold that 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 dream that they had. They've they have brought somebody in. They had brought somebody into their dream, and I think that's what was exciting about about the PIF bid, and and the fact that you know up until June it looked like it was going through, and um, you yeah. know. Certain people got involved um, in the in the Premier League, and you mentioned earlier about the court case, Stephen. Yes, that's the sort of dirty linen that will be watched in public if they're not very careful. Um, and the more that Newcastle fans have dug in, and the more that the press have dug in, um, and the more we've been able to expose and show the the contempt uh, of of people like Masters when they've sat in front of. Um, parliamentary select committees or when they've made statements in the press that have been totally counterproductive to, to what's actually happened and what we've actually witnessed over the last three months um, in terms of how their statements are totally contrary to to what, we, what we've what we seen and what we've heard. Um, 
that dirty linen is going to be absolutely scruffy dirty, isn't it? It's it's this is Sunday League dirt. This is after playing in the on the muddy pitches of a Sunday League pitch, and it's stuck in the laundry and come out, and it's got to be put back in again. It's that dirty, quite frankly. Uh, Chris Moore, thanks for becoming a member. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, George, a lot of questions coming in for you. Uh, I told you we could have ended up doing a full show with you tonight. Uh, Michael, Hurst, uh, Michael Hurst wants to know, um, question by George, what is your top 11 players for Newcastle that you've watched? Um, goalkeeper Ronnie Simpson. Uh, right back Bobby Cowell. Uh, left back um, Ron Batty. Um Halfbacks, oh, Harvey, Brennan, Ailey, uh, across the front row, Tommy Walker, uh, Ernie Taylor, Jackie Milburn, um, George Hanna, and Bobby Mitchell. Uh, and on the subs bench, well, you can you could pick another dozen for the subs bench, but uh, they're the ones I could think off the top of my head that I've actually seen. Um, yeah, the, obviously, my favorite, Jackie Milburn. I mean, it. It's interesting that, uh, uh, having said that, you know, Newcastle were trying to get me to, to, to sign forms. Um, Alec Tate came to me one, one, after one match on a Saturday morning and said, uh, they want you up at St. James's Park. So I went up with him in his car. And when I got there, he said, um, go into the boot room. There's somebody in there who wants to speak to you. So I went into the boot room and who should be sitting there but Jackie Milburn. Well, I would have signed anything <laughs> for Jackie Milburn. Um but you know, it, and it was warm. Now I don't, I don't see that kind of warmth in the club at the moment. Um, but but it it, it just uh, was that great feeling of being before somebody who was who was huge was was uh, massive, but such a gentleman, such a lovely man as well. I could have a hundred fans on this show, and not one of them would not have Alan Shearer in the team. And that's 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 the beauty of your team. He doesn't even Alan Shearer doesn't even make the bench. Uh, yeah, he, George, he, he, would, he, he would. on the bench. Yeah, he definitely no, on the bench. No, yeah. George Robledo says Barry Hogan. It's as if it's sacrilege. Well, it's it's a near thing. It's a near thing. But um, it depends how you wanted wanted to play. And if you wanted to play football, I would suggest my eleven would play football. Um, if you want, if you want somebody to batter the defence down and uh, uh, win by hard knocks, then you've got Shearer, Win Davis, and George Ribledo in the middle. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't get the best football necessarily, though. <laughs> Oh, you should be alongside Steve Bruce, George. There's no doubt about that. Tim, Tim Cairns is saying, who's your worst player that you've ever seen pull on a black and white shirt? Oh, I, I well. Uh, we're not far away from the one that's playing at the moment, I'm afraid. Uh, Neil and Steve will know is that when we buy new players, I like, to, I like to look at them in the first couple of games and see what they've got that makes them a footballer. Um, have they got the physique? Or, or do they look like an athlete? Um, what's their first touch like? Um, how, how do they resist a tackle? How do they go into a tackle? That sort of thing. And I love to see all of that, that what makes them, in, it makes them a footballer. I hate to say it about anybody, but that that lad, uh, Joe Linton, I'm still struggling to find what it is that makes him a footballer, to be honest. First touch, not very good. Tackle, he's on his backside. Um, he he does, he has looked like a, uh, scoring the odd good goal like he did the other night at uh, wherever it was, at Morecambe. Um, yeah. 
Well, it was a flash. It's a flash in the pan. Well, for forty million, you can't afford to have flash in the pan. Where used the people are coming for for lots of money, like Malcolm McDonald, and in their first game, they score a hat trick. <laughs> that's the sort. Of, that's the sort of thing. But Jackie even, Milburn must be. Uh, Jackie Milburn must be. You know, must be rolling in his grave at Joe Linton wearing that shirt. Oh, like, yeah, me. Yeah, me. Well, well, not just Jackie. I mean, uh, yes, last night you, you lads mentioned some more. I mean. Uh, Albert Stubbins, Charlie Wayman, Roy Bentley, they were all Newcastle number nines, you know, and, and at least two of them went on to play for England for other clubs. Uh, and some of them couldn't get games, that's why they left. Um, so, yes, I mean, somebody like Jackie Milburn would be just absolutely. Um, but in fairness to Joe Linton, I don't know what happens to Joe Linton inside the dressing room and at the training ground. My guess is if Jackie Milburn had been there, He'd have been the first one to take that lad away in the corner and put his arm around his shoulder and say, what can we do to help you, bunny lad? Because I've seen him do it to players, to young players when I was involved. You know, somebody's had a bit of a, a, a stinker and it was never huge criticism immediately. It was always, well, let's, let's have a look at what, what went wrong and what can we do to help you to put it right and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know that anything like that's happening to Joe Linton. It's, I'll just get the feeling that the other thing is not helping himself. I, do, I understand he's not learning English, which is a, an absolute disgrace for for a professional coming to a different country to not not learn English. I mean, it it just. Because, but as I said, yeah, I, he's I not the first George. What, he's not the first. There was no. a couple. Of, there's a couple in the recent in recent yeah. past who've done exactly yeah. the same. We're getting lots of questions for you, George. Worst manager. Oh, I think Gordon Lee. Yeah, yeah. Gordon Lee. I think you yeah, you'd mentioned definitely. that earlier, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, you did yeah. say that. Chris is spot on. Um, Mark Cooper says George should be giving Bruce tactical help. <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> nine talk says when Davies was quality, George. Uh, did he see certainly somebody... was. Uh, who was the best captain, says Diane Byrne? Oh, Harvey by a mail. Harvey by a mail. Um, school, are not, school are not far behind. Um, but Harvey, Harvey was, uh, was the manager on the field. He wasn't just a captain. Um, for example, um, trying to think who we were playing. Um, I think it was Huddersfield. And Huddersfield fullback was kicking Bobby Mitchell in, into the Gallagher every time he got the ball. And Harvey didn't just shout. Harvey, for 10 minutes, swapped places with Mitchell, with Bobby Mitchell. And the next thing is the fullback was lying on his backside in the Gallagher corner. <laughs> uh, and then... And, and then things got back to normal and, and Bobby Mitchell had had quite a good game. You know, that's the kind of thing that Joe Harvey would do on the pitch that made huge, huge difference. I mean, he, Joe wasn't, would never pretend to be a great intellect, but by his football nous was was fantastic. His, his football nous was was great. Um, mm -hmm. So, yes, best captain was Joe Harvey. Not far behind Schooler. Um, and that, that brings us to a, a personal memory of Schooler. Um, I was playing in an ends game against Everton at St James's Park on a, a very wet and snowy day, and the cinder track round round the pitch was was all ice. And uh, there was a kid playing for Everton called O'Hara, uh, who I was against. And as we went to the touchline for a tackle, I just kind of lifted my hip a little bit, and the poor kid went on his face along the cinder track. You know, and he was he was no skin from there down to his knees. And uh, after the match, I was coming off, and Jimmy Schooler was standing in the, in the in the uh, players' tunnel, 
and my dad was just over the top in the terrace in, in the in the galley in the um the, the terrace next to the players tunnel and uh, my dad says as i walked past jimmy school um my dad heard him say he's a nasty little bugger isn't he <laughs> 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 and, and, I mean, Jimmy Schooler had a reputation of not, not taking any prisoners, so that was a, quite a compliment as far as I was concerned. Oh, you're getting lots of compliments tonight, George. People are saying that's a genuine pleasure listening to George. Uh, the questions keep coming in. Um, but I want to get back on to uh, Lascelles. Thanks for that, guys. I mean, George, I know, is quite keen to come back on, so we're, we're more than happy to have George on. And uh, I think with some of his reminiscing, it might be a good idea to get him on the uh, the show retro we did last show. night, the Retro Show, because I think he'd give us some great stories from back in the day if you were up for that, George. Yes, um, I do. Love to, yeah. No, that would be fantastic. Steve, uh, come to you about Lascelles. Um, haven't really discussed it a great deal. Once or twice I can think of on the show, but uh, Martin Nesbitt was asking, do we think that he's regressed? Do you think he's got worse under Bruce? Do you, yeah, I, I think we all know I haven't been a huge fan of Lascelles. I, I, I put him up. He's a bit like Titus Bramble for me. Um, you know, there's a bit of nervousness in there. There's a Rick in there every game. Um, you know, what, what's your take on, on Lascelles and, and should he really be the captain? He, he doesn't look as mobile as he was a couple of seasons ago. Um, he doesn't look as confident. He, he, he was a, when, when he had that spat, um, when, when he, he stood up to certain players in the changing room and, and basically made himself captain um, by his attitude. And he doesn't seem to be the same player anymore. He doesn't, he's not the, he's not the, the dominating centre half. He's not the captain on the pitch anymore that, that, that we saw in those, in those early, early performances that he was putting in. Um, he seems to be. He, 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 has he regressed? Possibly. Um, have the injuries that he's had uh, taken a toll? Has he lost a bit of pace? Did he have a bit of pace? I'm not too sure. He certainly doesn't seem as aggressive as he was. He seems to be a lot more standoffish. Um, and I know that people think that the partnership between him and Fernandez is the best sort of central defensive partnership. Um, which you know, perhaps that's correct. I mean. But what we're seeing is we're seeing him on his backside an awful lot more. We're seeing him out of position an awful lot more. We're seeing we're seeing him moving across the back line without the intensity that he had and the determination. You know, we're not seeing him covering a fullback and actually sliding in and taking the taking the player and taking the ball, or or more importantly, taking the ball and leaving the player. And um, what we're seeing is a, is more of a more of a standoffish type of challenge. Um, and it, it just does not seem to be, in my mind, that the same player as I say that he was a couple of seasons ago. Um, is that because he's overconfident? Is it because he's cruising? Um, you know, he's the captain and the club captain, so he feels as though, you know, he's, he's almost guaranteed a place in the team. I'm not too sure because I don't know the lad and I've never met him and I, I don't know what sort of a personality he is. I, you know, I, I can only go by what I see on the pitch. And, and what I see is someone who I don't think is putting in the performances that he did uh, two seasons ago under Rafa. And Rafa obviously saw something in him to make him club captain. Um, but Rafa again, he wasn't. He, Rafa wasn't scared to drop players or to rest players when he felt it was the right thing to do, um, whether it was tactically or whether it was psychologically. I'm not too sure, but I don't think Steve Bruce plays those type of games. The main games, perhaps, um, 
that, that Rafa did, and maybe start to you know another flaw in his in his in his character and in his makeup, um, or in his managerial style. Um, you know, um, managers have they have their favourite five who are always going to get picked regardless. You know, and I think that I think with English managers that that tends to be something that 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 kind of sticks. I think I think foreign managers are um, a lot more um, sort of keen. I'm not 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 so much keen, but a lot more um, aware of you know horses for courses, picking teams, being able to rest players at the right time. But I think the the British managers and certainly the English managers in the league, um, they tend to be especially the older ones tend to be more the type that, well, you know, and as George used that phrase, run it off. Um, they tend to be sort of you know. Picking players that they feel as though just run and run, run through a barn door, regardless, you know, regardless of the skill or the attributes that they've got. They don't pick teams to to while looking at the opposition. Rafa was very much a let's look at who we're playing and let's let's pick a formation and let's pick a team and let's pick individuals for that particular game. Whereas I think you know if you're if you're if you're numbered one to eight, you're almost guaranteed. It's like the Sunday League, isn't it? You know. We used to have a standing joke with one of my, one of my pals. Um, you know, you could turn up with eleven, and uh, he would still be named as sub. You know, <laughs> because you were hoping that somebody else was going to come along and were just running late. You know, and you get that impression sometimes at Newcastle that it's that. You know, because you can almost you can almost guess the team at times. Yeah, George, what's your favourite tune match? Ian asks. Oh, the Barcelona match. Um, yeah. it, you know. It, the first cup final was 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 special, but if you if you what a football purist, the Barcelona game had everything, absolutely everything. Great goals, great football, uh, great goalkeeping. Um, yeah, Barcelona match by by country mile. Yeah. Okay, and what's your view on Lascelles? Um, disappointed because a couple of years ago, I genuinely think he had a shout to be in the England squad. He did, and it, is, uh, and it it just seems to have disappeared. What I find interesting is when we got uh, throttled by Middlesbrough five 0 in a pre-season friendly uh, down at their place. Um, somebody showed a piece of video on uh, Twitter, I think I was at Facebook, and when the second goal went in, Lascelles went berserk with his own players, absolutely berserk, and from then on. He just was he just was lost. And I think that's why we lost five nil. He he just couldn't take any more, sort of thing. Um and uh he doesn't seem to have the command at presently on the field that he that he had a couple of years ago. Um and uh makes the sort of schoolboy mistake he would never have made a couple of years ago. I mean, I forget what uh, game it was. He tried to clear a ball with his right foot that he should have hacked into the stands with his left foot, and uh, that was never him. He would have just—he would have just, even if he'd need it, he wouldn't let it cross his body like he did uh, for the forward to get it. So yes, I, I'm very disappointed for him uh, and for us because he, he, a couple of years ago he was a genuine contender for England for my for my point of view. Yeah, okay. And uh, Neil, your views on Lascelles before we look ahead to tomorrow's game? Look, I, I still think he has the ability as a young man to be a leader. 
That's why he was given the captaincy at a young age. Um, does he miss the direction that Rafa used to give a lot? Yeah, I think that's, yeah. that's a lot of it. You know, I, I, I remember the tale that both, both my dad and Steve tell about spending time with Rafa after a game once. And Rafa was doing all this tactical stuff with bloody... Yeah, was it, was it potato potato wedges on the on the table? Yes, yes. And he ended yes. up with potato all over his finger, you know. And and you look at the amount of direction he used to give the players on the pitch, and did that make a massive difference to the cells? And is that what he's now missing? And 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 as a result of that, is he now frustrated? So is that why the incident at Middlesbrough happened? Because he got sent off in that game, if you remember, you know, for for fighting with a forward. Because probably he'd lost his blob. But if he's lost his blob and he's lost his direction, you can't be a captain if you're doing that. So so was that again? I don't want to come back to Rafa. I don't want to come back to to, to look backwards. We've got to look forwards. Don't like it. But is he a lesser player because nobody's getting hold of him and saying, do this, do this, do this? Bearing in mind what current manager is allegedly the best centre-half who didn't play for England. Yeah. And he should have an ability to get all the centre-halves and say, think about this, think about that, think about what you're doing in this situation. Do this, do that, you know. Um, the direction can come in a different way. It doesn't have to be direct on the pitch or on the sideline the way Rafa used to do. Um, and, and that's the thing that frustrates me about him, he's gone backwards. There's no doubt about that. The other thing about him, he, he got that ankle injury. Has he lost a half a yard of pace? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's possible. And, and, it's, and, uh... now, it, it, it's his age that might come back, but it's not there now. Yeah. And, and, and you've got to remember for certain, certain defenders, pace excuses positional faults. Young defenders get out of jail because they've got the pace to get in the position they should have been in in the first place. And if he's lost half a yard of face, that was shorter for me. Yeah, no, it will. I mean, uh, for me, as I say, Lascelles has, has never been a, a player that I've actually, you know, valued at, at Newcastle. I thought he was he was raw talent when he when he was first signed. Obviously, Rafa, you know, formed a very defensive team, and I, you know, I just I just haven't seen any progression, and, and you know, he, p- potential England selection extra ne- never actually came about, and then. Uh, as I say, Steve Bruce has come in, and for a centre half, it's you know it's just bizarre. It really is bizarre that from from our perspective, he hasn't been able to progress. Anyway, let's look ahead to tomorrow's game. And uh, Newcastle United are live on Sky again, eight o'clock kickoff, and it's home to Sean Dyche's Burnley. Team news: Debravka, Dwight Gale, Matt Ritchie are all still sidelined. Uh, there are doubts, as you'll have seen on some of the comments tonight, over Jamal Lascelles and Emil Kraft, uh, although Kraft probably wasn't expected to feature against Burnley. Um, speaking today at the press conference, again, as we touched on at the top of the show, Steve Bruce has, is hoping that Alanson Maximum will feature. There have been sightings of him at the training ground, and uh, hopefully he will be fit to, uh, to be selected. Uh, from a Burnley point of view, Matt Loughton is missing out and there's fitness out to over Robbie Brady and Johan Berg-Goodmanson. Um, Ashley Barnes uh, has made a comeback. Um, obviously, 
Burnley, though, struggling a little bit, and they will be looking to uh, to kickstart their Premier League season. Now, uh, it's an interesting game, Steve. Um, how do you see it going? Um, two dinosaur managers, to be perfectly honest. I know people people rave about uh, Sean Dyche and what he's done at Burnley, but I, I consider them to be two dinosaur managers. Um, they were dinosaur footballers. Um, the the comments that that Dyche made about Steve Bruce, absolutely praising Steve Bruce for the way he sets his team up, that they're organised and all that. And I was just like, eh, what? Is this a wind-up? Must be. Um, because that's what he came out with at his press conference. He was praising, praising the castinated, but praising Bruce. Um, and I thought one of the girls from the from the from the ladies show on 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 Sunday on Monday, she she commented about that and and where where does that comment come from? And it is as though that the, the League Managers Association have this sort of like um, England core, you know. So within it, there's like another group that are all gonna they're all gonna band it together and all gonna safeguard each other and they're all gonna only gonna say nice things about each other. And it's like. It's like uh, it's it's sickening to listen to. Now I, I I don't want to go hear a press conference where managers are praising the opposition in, in the way that Bruce praised Newport. You praise them after the game, you know. You you don't praise them before the game, you know. You 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 you're going to war, you know. You're going into battle. You're going in to win three points. You're not going into there to like have all this lovey dovey, you know, slap each other on the back and and tell everybody tell the opposition how wonderful they are. Um, but it seems to have crept into the game, um, and, and it seems to be since the League Managers Association um, formed into what is basically, you know, a multi-millionaires club um, who who just want to spout praise on each other uh, to keep each other in a job. Um, I'm not actually looking forward to the game, to be perfectly honest, Steve. I haven't I haven't I haven't enjoyed any of the Newcastle games this season, and uh, if I'm perfectly honest, I'm I'm setting myself up for a defeat. Yeah, I've got to be perfectly honest. I'm doing the same. We'll get the predictions before we yep. finish. Uh, George, um, obviously Burnley uh, tomorrow night, eight o'clock. What's your what's your take on tomorrow night's game? How do you see it going? Well, I, I can't see it being a classic. That's for sure. Um, I would like to think we'd, we'd sneak a, a single goal win. Um, however, they do have a, one of our bogey players in in Wood, the big centre forward. If he's fit and playing. Then we're going to we're going to struggle. There's no doubt about that. The, especially where the centre backs are playing at the moment, he always likes to score against us, and I think he would give us a he'll give us a tough time. Um, I have a soft spot for Burnley, though. Can, can I tell me Burnley's story, Steve? Steve, go for it, George. Um, yeah, when, go for it. Go for it. When I was uh, involved in in playing as a schoolboy, the only other club other than Newcastle that really took a serious interest in me was Burnley and uh, I remember one Sunday morning there was a knock at the front door and I opened it there was this very smart guy in a, in a very smart tan overcoat the sort of thing that Malcolm Allison used to wear absolutely lovely uh, coat uh, asking to see me father so in he came and uh, he sat down and he out of his coat because he looked like he had a poacher's pocket in every side of it he pulled out this bottle of Lamb's Navy rum. And I thought, hello, this is serious stuff. Because that just happened to be my dad's favourite tipple. And what he'd come to ask me father was, could I be allowed to go to Burnley for a fortnight's trial? And because my father was saying, no, 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 it's, he's too young to, to do that. And 
Um, so I seen the Lambs Navy room get opened. And then I was sent <laughs> up to the shop to get some fags. But by the time I came back, I was going to Burnley. And I never understood, I never understood when, what went on in between. The next day, a van from Mountford's TV company uh, on Timehouse Road in Howden pulled up at the door and brought out the biggest television I'd ever seen in my life. Well, we didn't have a telly then. And in it came, it was installed and ready to run. And apparently that was my fee for going to Burnley. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Both, Brilliant. Both family. And and I went for two weeks and it was great. But you, you could always tell you were in Bob Lord country because the, the landlady of the house we lived that we lived in, and a lad <laughs> called Charlie Simpson from South Shields was with us and one or two others. And uh, every meal had either a pie or a sausage or something, which was made by Bob Lord, the attorney chairman, you know. Um and then the, the fortnight was up, we went back to the train. The man that came to the house, by the way, was Burnley's chief scout, Charlie Ferguson, who managed Gateshead for a little while. Were a lovely man, Aberdonian, played for Aberdeen, played for Scotland. And uh, he, he came back on the train with the lads. And Alan Brown was the manager of Burnley, and he saw off. The club will be in touch with you after the weekend. We'll let you know what's happening and all the rest of it. Well, it never happened because when we got home, uh, Monday morning in the journal, Alan Brown was appointed manager of Sunderland. <laughs> so, never, never got the letter from Burnley, but one of the players got a letter from Sunderland. And I've mentioned his name because you'll know him straight away, Cess Irwin. Cess oh, Irwin went to Burnley with me. And uh, he, he got a letter, but not from Burnley, from Sunderland. So there you are. And, and, and I've always had a warm spot for Burnley since then. So narrow win, I hope. Okay, Mitch. Now a win. I think that's that's exactly it. I, I think we should have enough. We should do enough. Uh, Wood bothers me if he's if he's fit. Yeah. Because um, he always seems to do well against us. Um, and I have to say, it's, it's, this whole concept that we've got at the moment about giving British managers a chance. This could be a horrible game of football from the purists' point of view. Um, but it, as ever, you take three points if they come. Uh, and we should have enough. Depends which one of us turns up. Is it the yeah. West Hamels? Or is it the, is it the Brightness? It, it, yeah. You just don't know. And you can't trust it. You can't, like, you can't make that call. So let's go for the ever the optimist view. And take it, take an arrow win. Okay, you're both going for narrow win. Steve, are you are you predicting a defeat there? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I'm. I'm I'd, I'd, somebody put up there about about Bruce and, oh, you, and, Dice, and you know what? The difference between the two is Dice is an angry manager, and Bruce isn't, Aye. and that's about it. One's an angry dinosaur, and the other one's a friendly dinosaur. And I think we'll get beat. I think we'll get beat. Maybe it's 1-0. Okay. I'm going to sleep on it. I'm going to give my prediction tomorrow. Yes, we're doing a pre-match. Uh, we, we, we are doing match day live. We are doing match day live tomorrow. Seven o'clock we'll start. As soon as the team's announced there. Uh, so we'll be taking you through with, uh, with, a, with a selection of people. I can uh, see what the team is before I make my prediction, which will be good. Got to say happy birthday to two former players. Billy Askew, he doesn't look like that anymore. Um, the last piece big, of the jigsaw. 
big happy big happy birthday to big billy and um happy birthday to john robertson as well uh that green old strip dear me that gave me some nightmares well it gave me mom some nightmares she had to stitch it on yeah. um and it was wonk and it was wonky and i never forgive her um but yeah yeah it was one of those saying, has he found his way home yet uh, he's still <laughs> home <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're getting loads of praise. Lots of people saying great show. Everyone's thoroughly enjoyed it, which is great stuff. George, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you, you on tonight. Thank you. We'll, it was we'll, a thrill we'll, being with you. Can I just yep. say something? Thank you for making this happen. This guy, um, he's not just my dad, he's my mate. And I, if I can be half the man he is, I know I've done all right. And thank you. Well, it's. It's special to be on with. It's special to be on with me son, me adopted son that looks after us when I put the match after we've had an hour at the food bank stand, and with uh, a fraternal brother as well. That's that you can't get much better than that, Steve. So thank you very much. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm glad I managed to sort it out, George, and you've made such an impression. We'll definitely get you back on. As I say, I think the Retro Show would be great because you've got some show. wonderful stories. Yeah. You've got some great memories. So uh, hopefully get you back on next Thursday if you're available. And uh, you lads, stay safe. Look forward to catching up Thank with you too. after the Burnley match. And uh, have a good night tonight. Get yourself back to the bar, Mitch. And thanks for everybody for watching. Give it a like. Give it a share. Thanks to uh, our sponsors, as always. Big shout out again to Darren Baldwin's uh, Funerals and to Q-Tech. Thanks very much, lads. Uh, until uh, next time, take care. Good night. God bless. We wish you well. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye.